Hello, and welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where we beat a dead horse 1d6 damage at a time. This week, we're going to be discussing the Zhrodin Chronicles, a weird space game that uh, appears to be more or less a graduate of the Palladium School of Design. It's got a title in papyrus, a bullet point list of the things that you're going to find in the book on the back, and it doesn't make any goddamn bloody sense at all. So let's get started on today's System Mastery. And welcome back. Hi, everybody. I'm Jeff, joined as always by the co-host of this show, John. John, how are you? I'm so good. That's good to hear, my friend. I am so tired, and I know you are as well. You, because you've been recording like crazy this past week. Oh, yeah. I have recorded like every single day for the past week, and I've got two more days of recording to go. (laughs) Some of that's ours. We have to do two episodes today of regular old System Mastery stuff, and then we've got some Star Wars Expounded Universe coming soon. I've got a ton of stuff for the Swallows of the South podcast that I'm on. And you've really stepped up your reading schedule because you're recording System Masteries without me in advance so that we can, uh, I can take a little time to be with the baby. A little breather time. Just a little... Little baby time, yeah. So I've got uh, I've got a lot of plates. You got a lot of plates spinning, and I do too because I am readying my house for the disaster that is an infant. Yeah, you're turning this place into a place that could probably not kill a tiny baby. Well, I mean, it'll be easy for a while because a really tiny baby isn't mobile enough to kill themselves on much of anything. Oh yeah. So for a little while, I mean, not, it's not easy, but. Uh, when she's like six or seven months old, that's when I actually have to go into full lockdown mode and put little like locks and latches and shit on everything. Oh yeah, you got to get those little like plastic things you put into the uh, the outlets. How long did those things keep you out of outlets and closets and what have you? I mean, I don't think I ever really wanted to stick anything into a power outlet. I did want to play with the plug in it, though. So it would be like I'd get that plug out from the outlet, and then I'd just fuck around with the plug. <laughs> I just, when I was a little kid, I, those little things that would stop you from opening a drawer unless you like push down on the on the plastic bit. Oh, at yeah. The t- those things kept me out for maybe 15 seconds ah. before I had that shit figured out and on lockdown. The only way my parents, again, the only way my parents could keep me from getting everything in the house was to just kick me out of the house and... And as people have been all kind of talking about ever since our Movie Mastery Elf episode, that's, that, that shit about me being an outdoor child is literally all true. That wasn't part of the April Fool's no, gag. No, that wasn't a gag. That was just <laughs> your weird urchin life. Yeah, that's that was that was verite I added at the beginning to add a little spice to the lie that was the Elf film. Uh, but that's that's all true. So from the moment I figured out how to open doors, I was pretty much banned to the yard. Yeah, and you can tell that I never had a problem with anything with my parents because I just wanted to play with safety plugs. I was like, <laughs> I don't want to get into Ooh, mischief. This looks like a little three-eyed man or something. I'm going to pretend he's a ghost. Ooh, I can I can just poke at him and be like, ooh, you're pokey. Ooh, yeah. I, I bet you power an iron or something. I'm excited about this. Ooh, oh mm. boy. What would a manatee do with this? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so, John, uh, I guess we should probably get to the game. What do you, what do you think? Uh I mean, I guess, honestly, I feel simultaneously like there's not a whole lot that I want to say, and yet there is so, so much to say oh, about well, this. Well, yeah, there's not much you want to say, but there is so much that you have to. It's true. I feel like, uh, as was sort of mentioned in the uh, the intro, this is the first time I feel like we've gotten into a heartbreaker that, instead of going for D&D, really went for Palladium. I don't. I think there's been at least one other that we've talked about that seemed like it was like, hey, oh, Palladium, I can do that better. Maybe like Nightlife or something like that. Uh, but but this is really, I mean, obviously a Palladium alike, right down to the point where one of the people that's credit. This is one of those books, first of all, where the guy who wrote the book has like seven credits. Yeah, but he doesn't have all of them because his very first credit that isn't for himself is for additional ideas by Eric Wusik. Sisk. Now, if you're wondering who the hell that is, he wrote, like, Rift South America, uh, I think Rift's Atlantis, a bunch of other stuff. He was a big deal at Palladium for a long time. Uh, he, he was the one who got kicked out in, like, a famous big old kerfuffle, and, and he, one of his books, Psyscape, went on the back burner for, like, forever, while, while uh, Symbiata rewrote enough of it that he could claim that Wojcik had nothing to do with it. 
Yeah. Now, the big thing to know about him is that he was also the main guy behind Ninjas and Super Spies. That is correct. Ninjas and Super Spies was his baby, as I believe was Nightbane. But anyway, this book, this is the weirdest thing. You wouldn't know unless you were a big Palladium dork like John and I are. This isn't just a sort of Palladium heartbreaker equivalent. It's a Ninjas and Super Spies thing. Which is odd because the entire Uh-oh. setting for this is a... Like, far in the future, space romp where you've got all these weird aliens and, like, their strange cultures and whatnot, and it's very weird sci-fi. It's also it's micro-focused in on about five or six different unique alien species, which to me makes it feel like it's, what if someone wanted to write a Babylon 5 RPG and they were using the Ninjas and Super Spies system to get there? Yeah, you've got these, like, five races that you can be, but then you've got, like, one like overarching bad guy race that's like oh these are the super bad guys and anytime they want to do anything they're just crazy powerful and everyone's afraid of them yeah that's the the shardan and then you've also got what the name comes from the jrodin which are the probably one of the weirder alien things to show up in this they are crystal people and i don't mean they're made of crystal i mean they're one of those races where it's like everything we do is crystals we fly in crystal ships to our crystal planets where we love crystals in the crystal dimension (laughs) that kind of shit you know there's one of those in every palladium game yeah so i mean i don't even know where to start do we want to say the rest of the races i guess i don't even okay i want to finish talking about how much this is like how weirdly this is a Palladium alike. Like, I mean, we're talking, the layout is exactly the same. It looks. Oh, like, if you hold this book, you would immediately assume this was a Palladium joint. Yeah, yeah. The first thing you think is, oh, wait, which, which Rift's Dimension book is this from when you're holding it? Because it has the feel and the paperweight, everything, right down to the exact dimensions of the book and the exact dimensions of the columns inside and the sometimes pretty fun but sometimes real crappy art. Oh, yeah, and the, I mean, even the layout has, like, Book one, Awakenings, so it's already in that, like, you know, World Book One, Mm -hmm. and has that same exact feel to it. It, There's a point where you're reading this, and you're like, was this originally a Palladium book that didn't meet standards and was kicked to the curb, and then this dude picked it up and ran with it on his own? Oh, yeah, I mean, it... It feels like this is something that someone was like, oh, I tried to pitch this to Symbieta. He said, no, I've got my own stupid space shit that I want to do. How much do you want to bet this thing was coming out right about the same time as Phase World? (laughs) They were like, I have an idea. Here, let me pitch it to you. And he's like, well, I did just publish Riff's Manhunter, the book you forgot existed. But uh, I am also working on Phase World, so thanks. We have our fill of crazy aliens. (laughs) Thank you, but no. I've decided to fill this with dumb mega damage stuff. So... Also found in the book heavily is an extraordinary uh, reliance on skill packages, which is a big part of what made Ninjas and Super Spies what it is, and a big section on mystical martial arts, which are barely even accessible by players, but they just feel like they needed to be in there for the... It is so out of nowhere in this book. The whole thing is, I mean, like I said, it's very sci-fi. It's all about, like, every race has their own level of technology. They've all got like some weird individual things tech wise that they're super into but then you get to the combat section and there's pages and pages of like if you do a snap kick it is this if you do a roundhouse kick it's this and then on top of that there's pages and pages of if you have like mystic martial arts training then you can use your key in order to regenerate you're like what the fuck does you, this have to do with anything you could do a dim back death punch punch then people will be able to walk five steps before they die and you're like wait which which one of these weird alien races does these things if you read any of the alien races none of them are like oh yeah and we've got a weird martial art tradition yeah so it's very much like this guy was like okay well i want to write my own role-playing game the only role-playing game i've ever seen in my entire life is palladium games ninjas and super spies so i guess that's what you have to have as a role-playing game (laughs) so so that's what he did and of course he also added a ton of stuff that doesn't make any sense and the other weird theme that we're going to see running through the book which i i can't wait to really get into is rules he seems to have forgotten are not present elsewhere throughout the book Oh my god, there are so many references to rules or stats or like abilities that you might have that just do not exist. <laughs> it's true. And okay, so so let's get started here. First of all, this book starts with eight 
full fucking pages of of a single space timeline. Oh yeah, and it's all shit that you're just like, who could possibly care? Did the Terraloans meet the Agsabadians and then they were destroyed? You're like, okay, does that come up in play? Oh no, that doesn't matter. None of this matters. None of this at all. But I mean, there's eight pages of this stuff, and I could just pick one at random here. The Queez Bank, after amassing huge fleets of ships, begin to plan an attack on the Manaltar outpost. That happened in 791 AY, John. Oh, good. Does does this matter at all? No, of course not. Here, let me just skip forward two pages. Uh, the Institute for Metaphysical Studies takes the Fritics' claims about the shadow seriously and begins investigating the phenomena. Meanwhile, the Shardan the Terrans dis- and the Terrans discover an ancient Tuluanto satellite. Okay. All right, what are any of those things? <laughs> it doesn't matter, and you won't find out for pages. And in fact, in the case of the Shardan and the Tuluantos, you'll just never find out. I mean, at least the Shardan get a little bit of, here's sort of what their deal is in some stats. The Tuluanta are basically like, oh, it's an ancient race that was here, and now they're gone, and I guess maybe you might find ruins of them. This isn't the first time we've seen this, where the book starts with this big, long timeline full of weird words and doesn't define any of it so that it's just meaningless to you and it's just eight pages of jargle. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand. I mean, sure, put this thing in your book, but put it at the back. So after you've kind of got your head around what a quiz bank is, you can go back through and read it and go, oh, that's what. Okay, so so uh, a long-headed snake man. All right, great. Yeah, I mean, it's the thing is, it's answering questions that no one has asked yet. So you're just like, I'm sorry, what? What the <laughs> fuck is this? So eight pages of that go by, and then we get an introduction to the way that this game is going to work. Uh, there's a there's a sing- it doesn't a, a single paragraph where, where the author explains the way this book or the way you resolve conflicts in this game is by rolling over or under a single d20 or, or a difficulty using a single d20 roll. Oh, the the beginning word play for this, well, just word choice makes it feel like oh, hey guys, I tried to simplify all of this d20 stuff. Everything is resolved with a simple d20 roll. You just gotta. Roll under or over one number. Don't worry about it. Anyway, let's get into factorials. And you're like, wait, huh, what? <laughs> yeah, because everything in this game's uh, successes are multiplied uh, by by the difference between what you you rolled and what the difficulty number is. Factoring in your threshold capability for for adjusting the factorial of successes. Basically, if there's ever been a way to modify dice numbers that you've ever seen in any game ever, it's in here. Oh yeah, you've got target number changes. So. Mm-hmm. The GM is going to have uh, a target number that you have to beat, and then you have ways to change the target number, but that's different from ways you modify your role, mm-hmm. which is also different from ways you change the factor shift, which is what the multiplication of your success is. Uh-huh. So for and then you- even when they do that, my fucking favorite thing in that. I know what you're going to say. I love this part. Okay. So it it has like, oh, if you get a success of like between zero to four of whatever you needed, it's times one and five to eight is times two and so on. And then it says, oh, you can have a factor shift. So if you have a success that would have given you times three, but you have a plus two factor shift, that will give you an additional plus two that puts it at a times five instead, which means that your damage will be times six. Yep. <laughs> Wait, what? It's basically like, hey, so, okay, let's say that normally you would be doing times three damage for hitting with a, with the stick you're carrying around at this target number that you rolled. Great, but if your character is so good with sticks that he gets a factor shift of two, then he adds two to that times three for a times five. Obviously, this means you do times six damage. What? Wait, what? <laughs> and it's never explained. It's never like, and obviously this is what you'll do for everything. It, it, it happens more than once through the book that he's like, well, obviously two plus two equals four, and that's why you have plus five damage. And you're like, what? Ho- is this a typo? <laughs> or am I supposed to just keep adding whatever I want to anything? I, I, it happens so often that I feel like we're just missing the part where anything does a base of plus one to the multiple uh, multiplier value of damages or something. Also, in that same paragraph, he mentions something about how a factor shift can move a modifier result from from a blue to a sky blue success range. Oh, yeah. There is a weird thing in the book where it keeps mentioning, like, color ratings for stuff. And it's like, oh, yeah, this will change your color rating. And that doesn't 
exist in this book. No, it happens constantly. There, there's, I, I found at least ten references to color shifts in this book, where things move from a sky blue to a blue, or from a black to a purple. Uh, this book, first of all, is printed entirely in black and white. Yeah, so there's <laughs> there's no point where you might have been like, oh, they're saying that because if you look at like the times one times two whatever table it's all in different colors and they're trying to make it color coded as well i kind of wish we'd re- release this review last week oh my just god because people would not believe us no people would be like no there's no way there's a book that's got a color system that isn't justified in it the <laughs> but no this is real this is not an april fool's joke <laughs> the amount of shit in this book where they're like hey you get uh plus 12 to your endurance and you're like what's an endurance eh. <laughs> it's certainly not your you're, uh, it's not a stat you have. That's no. constitution. I like the one where you're rolling to see how good of a computer your starting profession can start with. It's, you actually have to roll to see how nice of a computer you have, and then you have to calculate like its MBPS ratings when uploading and downloading, and all this other stuff that looks hilarious at this point because the book was written in like 2002. Well, the the weird thing with that is they have a scale for everything, <laughs> yeah, which is one to twenty five, and they tried to fit everything into it. Oh my the God. problem is. Some of it they just didn't care about. So, like, 1 to 10 is nothing? Yes. They're like, then why did you try and put everything into a 1 to 25? God damn it! That scale is one of my favorite things to be found in the entire book. Because, okay, we talked about this one a long time ago when we did Mayfair's The Batman RPG. Yes. When it had a 1 to, I think, a 1 to 20 scale uh, for all the strength. It basically was like, hey, guys, you know what's really annoying is units of measurement. I mean, everyone already knows what, the, what all of them are, and, and a lot of people have a good grasp on them already. What if we were to take every unit of me- measurement, convert them into a 1 to 20 scale, and then use those 1 to 20 scales for everything? Oh, yeah. So we'd be like... Did you want, like, pressure in water? Oh, well, that's a 1 to 20 scale. So in this book, they thankfully, the Batman book kept it pretty simple. It was like, uh, it was units of distance, speed, uh, st- and, like, lifting capacity and stuff, some ba- and weight, st- basic stuff like that. Yeah. This one, like John was saying... Does things like uh, data transfer rates, uh, pressure in the in a vacuum versus pressure in deep water? Oh yeah, it's got stuff like when it's too hot, when it's too cold, difference in angstroms from the visible color band spectrum, and they're all they've all been reduced to a one to twenty five scale uh, for you know convenience, which. It, is especially amusing because there's this huge scale in the book that is that stuff. Like, oh, how far is a mile? A mile in your weird one to twenty five scale? Oh, it's point four. Okay, great. That's that's good. That's easy for me to remember. No problem. Is that going to come up in the book at all? No. Oh no, no. no. It, dev- it never matters. <laughs> Nothing is ever referenced as being like, oh, the damage on this is a thirteen in your damage TL, and you're like, wait, no. Why do you have this in the book then? You have this one to twenty five scale, and nothing uses it. Yeah, nothing at all. It's it's uh, it, it does virtually zero. But there it is, just being this big crazy scale of information. Look, let's talk real quick about the races because there's oh, oh okay. Before that, there are ten stats. Yes, to create a character, you have to get ten stats ge- that are generated plus a tremendous number of substats. It has five different ways to do this, mm-hmm. four different ways to roll it, and one way to point by. Uh huh. Uh, the stats range in okay. They they they, have, they don't have an upper limit, but their minimum range is ten, is eight. Well, it, but it can be reduced further by minuses to your stat. The weird bit about it is you roll one d twenty for it. it. Then you take that one d twenty roll, compare the roll to a chart that tells you what your actual number is, which is a number between eight and fifteen. And then you take that number and compare it against a chart that tells you what the modifier from that second number is. Yeah. So it it ends up being like oh. I've got a 1d20 roll because I wanted to simplify things. You're like, no, you didn't. What you actually wanted was a d6 roll to get you essentially a 9 to 15 range because an 8 only shows up on a 1. Yeah. But even then, you're like, more than that, what you really wanted was a d3 because basically every stat is between, like, negative 1 to plus 2, maybe? That is correct, yeah. You will have virtually no stats that your final modifier will never be much much higher than plus one and never much lower than minus one yeah and to get to that like an eight is still a like plus zero you'd have to have rolled the lowest and then have a stat modifier that reduces it further yes in order to even hit that Uh uh-huh uh but it's amazing to like when you're looking at the how to roll your character modifier i took option a out of the five options option a was roll 10 d20 keep the order of what you rolled and do that twice, select whichever one you'd like, and then run that through the whole process of running it through one table and then through a second table. I did this twice. 
one of my roll sets was spectacularly better than the other one. This is for the characters that we'll have introduced in the bonus content. Because, and this is a rare thing for us, normally we do the bonus content afterwards, but this game was so fucking inscrutable that we, we agreed that the only way we could make sense of it was to try to make characters in it. That took us, I'm going to say probably two hours. Uh-huh. And even then, I was still like, I don't know how this shit works. Nope, no idea. But uh, the end result was I rolled these two sets of 10 D20s. The value difference between the two of them is negligible. It is a huge waste of time. Oh, yeah, because even if you're like, oh, man, on this one, I rolled a whole bunch of, like, 14 to 18s, and I've got way better things on that. You're like, no, you don't. You had maybe, like, a plus one overall. Who cares? Yeah, those are all going to boil down into plus ones. Go fuck yourself. Uh, no one no one gives a shit. Whatever. <laughs> so the 10 stats you have are strength, agility, constitution. Uh, you get dexterity as well as agility. That's correct. Empathy, willpower, perception, charisma, intelligence. Uh, stop me if I get to 10. I, I think that's I, it. That's whatever. <laughs> whatever. Uh, the, the, and, and every race gets tr- a number of, of bonuses to them. Uh, let's... And then you calculate things like, oh my God, you have to calculate your your move score. Your move score is equal to uh, your agility score plus the, your height in meters uh, rounded naturally. Uh, divide by two. Divide by two and then add a modifier based on your species. It's real weird. Uh-huh. Uh, so, okay, let's talk about the species real quick because there's a lot of fun to be had in these. Yeah, the the actual species for this are... I mean, they're weird aliens. I like that it's not just like, what do you have? Oh, I've got humans that are blue and humans that are tall. And uh, yeah, no, I like that. I also like that they go deep into the eval- like examination of the of the psychology and, and profile of each race uh, or species because that's sort of a fun. That, that's what I was saying that this is Babylon Five ish, where the races get a tremendous amount of exa- examination. So there's not very many of them. Yeah, it's not like the latest random dude with a lump on his face to walk into Quark's bar. You know, like what are you? I'm a Telochthalian. What do you guys do? We talk like this. That's our one thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, each of them gets like a uh, little segment in their description where it's like, this is their history. This mm-hmm. is their society. This is their government. This is their justice system. And unlike some other games, it actually has a lot of interest in them. Like the last time I saw a game like that was Talislanta, and it was just like, what's this species like? They eat worms. What do they like about art? They don't. <laughs> okay, great. Well, I'm glad I'm reading this. Yeah. And the the other nice thing about it is... A lot of the other games that might be like, let me give you all the information about these different races. At least there's only, you know, five. So you don't have to be like, all right, here's the 14th fucking different lizard man I've looked at. How are they different? <laughs> yeah. So we start off with the Midari. Uh, so the Midori are a group Sours, of- <laughs> and they're real delicious when you put them in uh, a drink. Japanese melon liqueur that's surprisingly syrupy. <laughs> it's so good once you put it in a drink, though. Don't I have lo- it by itself, or that's nasty. Oh, I love Midori, dude. Don't get me wrong. Midori is fucking great. <laughs> Given that it's made out of trash melon, because I'm pretty sure it's a honeydew liqueur. Some trash melon. It is so delicious. Uh, so anyway, the Midari are... They're... Oh my they God, are squirrel werewolves. They're flying squirrel werewolves, except they don't turn into humans. So they're really just flying squirrel wolf people. Yeah, they have... They look like, you know, your standard werewolf as far as, like, they've got a wolf head and they're big and strong and furry, but then they've got the flying squirrel flaps. Uh-huh. And they have hollow bones to support their capacity to fly around as flying squirrels, but they are also by far the strongest race. Even oh, though, yeah. They are super though, buff. Even though they're described as ultra lightweight and, and uh, having hollow, fragile bones, they are the ones that are ultra strong because they're wolf dudes. Uh, we can sum them up for you in, in a word. I, I'm not even kidding. Here we go. John, one word. Uh, Klingons. Klingons. They're Klingons. Thank you. You knew yeah, what I needed? They're, they're, they're tree Klingons is really the big thing about them. Yeah, they're, they're tree Klingons. So they're half Wookiee, half Klingon, all squirrel wolf. Yeah. Uh, their whole deal is that they have super important codes of honor, and they come in three varieties, each one of which is referenced only in terms of how much they respect the codes of honor. So there's the ultra-Orthodox Megamadari. Their whole thing is that they are so honorable that they won't even fight with ranged weapons. And every once in a while, some of them will go off planet, immediately get vaporized by dudes with laser guns, and then they'll just go back to living on the planet and ranting about honor. Oh, yeah. The, these are the guys who are, like, just sitting in some basement on a message board for the Madari, just being like, you know the thing about honor is. Yeah. Like, okay, thanks. Then you've got the medium honor Madari, and all of these have complicated names. But here's a fun thing about this book that, that takes some getting used to, and I don't know if you had the same experience as me, John. Uh, a lot of the example names for the various species in the book, like when they come oh up with a name God, for them, yes. is like 
this is a Madari. The example we'll use is this is this uh, example Madari. His name is Midori. Oh, yeah. They're like, what is this? It's a Pajanji. His name is Pajaji. And you're like, yeah. oh, fuck you. He's hanging out with this quiz bank named Quizbunk. <laughs> I... I couldn't deal with it. I was like, come on, man. Just... Every time. It's so amazing how they keep doing it. You have a list of names mm-hmm. for each species at the end of it where they're like, these are common names. Just use one of those, man. You don't need to be like. They do. If you look at the common Madari names, they're things like Madashi. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you know, just like the the common human name of Humati. Well, except that they're Terrans in this book. So you have to deal with a lot of guys named like Terra and Terrence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Terrence. <laughs> I'm Terrence the Terran. <laughs> I'm a holy terror. <laughs> oh, it's so terrible. <laughs> so uh, so that's something you really have to, to get used to. But like I was saying, they have three names for these different types of Madani. And they're, I'm not even joking, they're like the Madoxy, the Madali, and the Madapthi. <laughs> it's, it's, it's impossible to keep any of this in your head. And the book didn't want to help. No, because it's, it's going to mention it like once in their little chapter and then maybe in the back of the book where they've got, like, these are some society things that you might want to deal with. Like, here's a corporation that exists with, with the Madari. And you're like, all right, sure. And they'll briefly mention one of those groups, but that's it. The other thing about the Madari is that they're a matriarchal society. So, Or not matriarchal. Uh, the women are the warrior caste. They're, they're bigger and stronger in the Madari society. Uh, they get a plus five bonus over to to their strength modifiers over what males get, which is you know still a a whopping plus fifteen and plus twenty respectively. Jesus. So they're they're unbelievably strong. Uh, males instead of having that or losing that uh, minus five to strength, pick it up in things like intelligence and empathy. There you go. So uh, so they're they're relatively even between the two of them, but females are the bigger bruiser bruiserier ones. Great. All right. So and then they are. I don't even really want to get into their deal in the whole cultural kind of milieu that this that is this situation because none of it makes any sense they're 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 the honor bound ones they they form big corporations and go out and do uh trading and so on just like everyone else uh and i guess we really probably should have started with this road in because but whatever we'll come to them let's no, move on be let's, last. Move on. let's go let's just go to the pajangis so pajangis are the <laughs> ferengi of this world they are anarcho-capitalists that only really care about like Trading and selling and doing that, mm-hmm. uh, they that's pretty much their entire deal. Yeah, they're mushroom people, if you're wondering. what I mean, I don't know if I can actually say they're mushrooms. They are definitely the most thought-out alien of the alien species. The, the description of them, though, when they start going off on it... They call them the most human-looking? They're like, oh, these guys are very human-looking. They've got... A hand with some digits on it, and they're bipedal. Anyway, they also have giant eyes, and their nose are two slits, and their mouth is a slit beneath that that also looks like their nose. They only have, like, four digits, and their digits are long and weird. And you're like, why did you start by calling them human-like? I, I really like how this book has the first principles description for each species. Honestly, it... It drags. It's so it's like two paragraphs long. Humans have a would have a single flipper hand were it not separated into five opposable and multi jointed digits, which range in color from cream to ebony. Yeah, the the descriptions for everything honestly make this so boring. Like going through these weird aliens, normally I'd be like, Oh, cool, an alien. But it describes it like I'm reading the Wikipedia entry on like Tanzania. I'm like, <laughs> I don't care man come on <laughs> the average rainfall of a pajanji like no stop it i don't i don't want you to be this dry please so pajanji have kind of a bone crest for a head that kind of looks like the the cap of a mushroom uh on the bottom of the bone crest are a bunch of like fl- uh membranous flaps which are their ears then they have big black eyes and six little slits across the front of their face four of which are nose and two of which are mouth but they're all identical anyway yeah uh they I guess somehow speak normally. Everyone can perfectly fine understand them. Their fingers look like they're made of snakes. And uh, they're, yeah, they're the anarcho-capitalist trader race that mostly exists to try and find profit. But they are a lot, I want to say, nicer than Ferengi. Like, everyone seems to get along with these guys great. Yeah, they they aren't as swindler-based. Like, a lot of the Ferengi thing is like, oh, I'm going to try and get profit to the exclusion of literally everything else. Yeah. Whereas the Pajanji are like, oh, no, we're all about capitalism and people doing things, but we've gotten to a point, apparently, where 
it's okay, we've balanced out, because if we were Ferengi, no one would trade with us. Yeah, that's always been a problem of the actual Ferengi, is that, like, why would anyone deal with these guys? They they literally, like, religiously observe cheating as a concept. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, the Pajanji are also small. They usually range, they they're rarely get more than five feet tall. Yeah. So they're very Ferengi styles, except that they are crazy looking aliens, which are for some reason described as the most human looking of the bunch. Yeah. So after the Pajanji are the Quiz Bank. It's uh, two Q's on there. Two Q's at the very end. It's Q U I I Z H B E N Q Q. Good. And the double Q thing is very heavily in all of their names there isn't a single word in the quiz bank language or naming convention or planetary naming convention that does not have a double q in it i don't know why but there you go lord kakakukaku is definitely a, a quiz bank a quiz there's no way to get around it's such an annoying naming convention and then the fact that the the quiz banks you meet are all named things like quiz bank <laughs> and quit bank you're like ah damn it i don't understand this but, okay, to, to sum them up, they look like half-earthworm, half-snake centaur people. Yeah, they um, got real, real big, st- long uh, tops of their heads. They're like, uh, whatever that fucking uh, the, the, guy in Star Wars is. Oh, well, the, well not Bib Fortuna exactly, but they look like the... the uh, no, the guy with the double brain. Oh, the Syrian. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I forget his name at the moment, too. Yeah, but he's uh, on the Ki- Jedi Ki- Cancel. Ki-Adi Mundi. Yeah, Ki-Adi Mundi. They look like Snake Ki-Adi Mundi. Yes, if, if you had a Snake lower half and a Ki-Adi Mundi upper half. Uh, their whole thing is that they are obsessed with relentless self-improvement. Yeah, uh, they're, which, they're very much about the whole, like, transhumanism. Transkizbenkinism. Like, yeah, well, whatever. Uh-huh. They uh they love like cyborg nonsense. They want to give themselves as many like replacement eyes and limbs and weird nonsense as they can. Uh-huh. Uh lots of races will start with either like racial powers or uh special equipment or stuff like that. Their whole thing is a starting character will start with like a D4 or whatever starting cybernetic enhancements. Yeah. Now, just to be go, to backtrack a little bit, Madari get gliding as a racial ability because they have wingy things. And, and they're just super buff. And Pajanji get a, basically, the Toydari and uh, your force powers won't work on me, only money. Yeah. There, anytime you would use, like, a personality skill. Like seduction so, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. If you're trying to bluff them or persuade them or do anything like that, they have... They get a, a little teeny bonus against it. Yeah, they get a bonus against that working. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, so the Kizbank are technology obsessed and very. They have the highest tech uh, tech level of any of the uh, playable races, uh, and they they are otherwise they're the hardest to define personality wise. One of the things that's notable about these chapters is that each one or each one of these race descriptions gets a huge chunk of random rolls you can make for like what color their eyes are and stuff, and then a d80 or a d60 roll for the for the personality traits that are common to this species on which you always roll a d4 plus two of oh my god the the personality trait thing though i missed the first time around when he discussed how to do it because it's like oh you'll roll a d80 and i'm like okay one that doesn't exist what are you talking about yeah he just says roll a d80 and then two you look at it and it goes from 10 to 89 and you're like wait hold on what the f- what? You get that result by rolling 10d9 minus 1 or something? I was like, like I, don't, I don't, wait, what? How do you do this? Well, apparently, you roll a, like, d8 for your 10s place and then a d10 for the uh, 1s place, and that'll get you between 10 and 89. Yeah, because there's no 0 on a d8. I was familiar with this system going in because that's the model they use for the random rolls in, in, in uh, Steve Jackson's Tune. Oh, because it used it used a, a D six percentile system where you'd roll a, a result between eleven and sixty six. Ah. Uh, so, but yeah, so you have this big old result between uh, uh, of eighty potential character traits that you're that this race might have, which more or less sucks out the capability to sum them up when when they have things like brutal but also trustworthy on them. It's it's uh it, it's a huge list that you have to roll to see what your character is going to be. Uh, so that's the quiz bank. Yep. Uh, after the quiz bank are the... Selmna. Yeah, we'll do the Selmna. So the Selmna look like fraggles? Well, they're sort of tall and lanky, and they have a like egg for a head, essentially. So it's sort of ovalish, but you take the pointed part of the egg and have that be the front of them. Uh-huh. And then they've got like eyes that are a little more to the side of the egg. Yeah. And then sure. the point of the egg is the mouth. 
Uh, yeah, no, you, they look like if you took the front half of an airplane, rounded off the back of it, and made that into its face. Um, but, I mean, really, what I'm, what I'm basically getting at is the artist that he had for Selma was the least interested in drawing of anybody in the book. Because the Selma have, like, no definition to them, no, like, they, they didn't go in and add age lines or wrinkles or any kind of, like, markings on them. They, they're, every one of them is just a living outline. Oh, yeah, it's just... What are you? I am an egghead man that is thin. Uh, with, what, with what else you got? Nothing. Long ropey hair, I guess. I, every one of them looks like Gobo Fraggle. <laughs> I, so, so that's what they are. Their whole deal is that they are they're defined by their commitment to community. Yeah, the idea of the individual attachment isn't huge. The the whole thing with them is they're like, oh, you'll have like hundreds of teachers throughout your life, and mm-hmm. if you want to, you could just walk into someone's house and be like hey, what lessons do you have to teach? And they'd be like, oh, well, sit down. I spent my life learning about whatever, and let me teach you about that. So instead of it being like, uh, oh, you're going to go and uh, have a family unit, and that's your main uh, way of having like a community, it's very much like, oh, as soon as I've, I'm done learning what I can here, I'll just like fly off to somewhere else on another planet and learn from some other Selmna. Yeah, yeah, so that's... There's not that much to Selmna. They are they're the the least well defined of the races. They're they're fairly communistic. I mean, it says they're like capitalist, but then also goes on to say, oh, they always take care of their own, and uh, everyone gets what they need, and it's it's basically they have capitalism for other races. Like they're willing to buy and sell for anyone else, but they don't really do that within their own. Yeah. So, after that, we have to get to Terran's, and I want to start by describing the story of reading the Terran section. So, when you, when you first get to Terran's section, just like with anyone else, and Terran's for, you know, there's a reason he needed to put humans in the game, because you can't do a game without art of humans. And also, he, there's a wonderful thing of, like, no one knows where these Terrans came from. Yeah. They were imported here. Yeah, so Terran's should look like humans. And so we get a huge two-paragraph first principles description of what an alien would describe humans as looking like, you know? Oh, they're, ovi- they're oviparous, heterosexual, reproducing bipedal synth- or, or, or non-synthoid organics who have uh, an, one opposable digit and blah, blah, blah. The hair will grow on the top of their heads and also sparsely across their body. Males will often have it on their face. And you're like, okay, yeah, yeah I get it. get it. And then you turn the page. And you get our very first picture of a Terran, and it's fucking Brundlefly, except his eyes are made of silly putty, and someone has pulled them out in long goop strands and tucked them in behind his gross bug ears. It is just nonsense. You turn the page and see that, and you're like, oh, what the fuck is this, then? Is this a monster? You turn the page again, a fucking picture of a lion in battle armor. Oh, my God. Not even bipedal, just a lion. Yeah, it is straight up not like, oh, yeah, I'm a, you know, anthro lion man. It is... Someone took a lion, put armor on it, and was like, here you go, buddy. Human. Except, okay, even if it was like, well, lions are Terran, they're from Earth, that makes sense, fine, whatever. But no, because that's a human that's gone through some kind of mutation process. Yeah, there are four different types of Terrans, Mm -hmm. and the type that you are actually matters way more than the other races. Because all the other ones will be like... Oh, these are people that are more into spacefaring, and these are the society that's into whatever. What you are as a Terran is like, oh, these are the people who are into animal splicing. These are the people who worship radiation and mutation as a god. Uh Uh-huh. There's one that thinks that there's a shadow dimension that lives among us. Yeah, the Frittics. We talked about them in the timeline section. Yeah, and they uh, they think that shadow people are coming to get us. Uh Uh-huh. And then there's ones that are all about eugenics programs, and they're like, oh, we don't mutate. We very carefully plan for our weird, dumb mutations. Uh-huh. So very few humans look like humans. Yeah, there's almost no way to have a Terran that just looks like a guy. Now, does that start stop the art in the skill section of this book from being of various big boobed women? No. With, like, their nipples poking out of their space outfits? <laughs> Goodness, it do- no. It, it does not, no. Uh, I don't know what those are supposed to be because they don't have bug faces and gross radiation immunities and whatever. Uh, but, you know, the art's in there just in case you needed it. Yeah. <laughs> so so Terrans, like John was saying, don't really have a home world or anything. They're a weird transplant species just because you needed to fit humans in here somehow. Yeah, it's like, the, I think maybe even the Shardan were like, oh yeah, we found these guys and 
We uh, did weird experiments on them, and they're our slave race. One thing I really wanted to mention as a positive is that at least the humans in this book aren't the generic template upon which the other races are built. Humans in, or Terrans in this book get a variety of bonuses and penalties to their base stat rolls, and they get a bunch of interesting mutations that are all baseline. So they're not just, what are humans? Humans are the the, the Humans generic, are the plus zero to everything. Yeah, plus zero to everything. They are the most fruit, fruitful race that, that reproduces the quickest. And they'll get a bonus to their skills oh, instead. Aren't they adaptable? Indeed they are. They are the most adaptable of the various races. No, in this case, they're just gross monsters. Oh, yeah. In this, they're like, oh, what sets Terrans apart? Oh, Terrans are all about weird like genetic manipulation the problem is that they don't get that before that first two paragraphs of first principles of what a human is oh yeah because it's like if if that section had just been what's a human oh they're weird mutants and sometimes they look like dogs like oh baseline they're kind of like this but for the most part you'll end up being just a strange bug man or some kind of like bird monster or maybe like a rat priest (laughs) (laughs) yep it's just some nonsense that you'd play in 40k so uh, after that, we have to talk very briefly, I guess, about the titular Jrodin themselves. The Jrodin are... Gray, lumpy crystal people. They're, they're lumpy, weird dudes that are... Their whole thing is they have their children raised by other races. Yeah, they're basically the cuckoo birds of, of intelligent life. They, they, they just keep setting up situations in which other people need something from the Jrodin, and when they ask the Jrodin for it, they're always like, oh yeah, of course you can settle on that planet. Raise our kids. Raise my baby. Raise this baby Jrodin. And the Jrodin are so adaptable that they immediately take on the uh, appearance, more sort or less, of of whatever the race is and their like racial abilities and everything completely match whoever they're being raised by. Yeah, they're only they're just faster. That's the only bonus they get. Yeah. And so the Jrodin will as much as they can just completely integrate into whatever species has them adopted. So now a lot there a lot of this game is based around the sort of cultural weirdness of that situation where like certain Madari love that they have Jrodin that want to be Madari and live with them other Madari fucking hate it and they, they make cultural taboos against it and and uh, the Jrodin are basically like these uh, huckster salesmen of the galaxy who are always trying to trick people into raising their babies and the uh the whole big contentious thing is recently it's gotten to the point where uh everyone has noticed that at a certain age these Jrodin will just sort of go all right, I'm done. Bye. Bye, yeah. society. I'm going to go back to the Jrodin now. Now, before that happens, they are the most loyal members of any species that they've integrated into. A, a Jrodin that's in- integrated as a Pajanji is the most Pajanji guy you've ever met in your life. Oh, yeah. If he- I mean, if one of these Jrodin grows up and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm like a doctor for the quiz bank. They're like, yes, that's 100% what they are. They're dedicated to it. They are going to like give whatever they can to what they do. And then the second they get like, matured like all right well i'm done yeah fastballs the way starts playing and they (laughs) (laughs) and they just leave well papa was a rolling stone i gotta go (laughs) every every single jrodin when they hit the adult level which is known as jrodar or jodar uh all of a sudden needs to go out for smokes yeah and and then then never come back never come back and now this pisses off the various races this has been happening for like about a thousand years now and it pisses off the other races to no end because these guys know all kinds of secrets or whatever well yeah because they're like oh we raised you as one of our own we brought you into our society and taught you all of our secrets and then you just left and took them to the jrodin what an asshole yeah so so a lot of people have like this happens to them for a generation or two, and then they're like, "Well, now we've passed a law against raising Jrodin children. Never again!" And then they like lose a war, or they're deeply depopulated. And next thing you know, here come the Jrodin, and they're like, "Hey, hey, did you need some babies? I got all these spare babies." The back of the book is where we actually find out anything more than they are just weird, adaptable people. Mm-hmm. And it turns out they're like the ancient race of the galaxy, and they were like the first ones to have anything, and they're super obsessed with finding out anything yeah so not even just tech they're like no we just want to know everything no they're those scammer aliens from the first futurama movie (laughs) their sprunger is engorged (laughs) yeah they they get together every fucking like hundred years and have their elders go off to a crystal planet Mm. where they 
psychically link to one another and share all their information that they found. If I find an RPG that doesn't have any crystals in it, I'll be a happy man. <laughs> I don't know why you're so angry about crystals. Because they're Look, so they ubiquitous. Just, they grow out of the stomach of a Jrodin. At least in this book, they're weird. And they're semi-sentient and can't stand to be apart from a Jrodin for long. But as the crystals get older, they're able to be by themselves longer. Well, well let me ask you this, John. At what value of, of dollars can I get the most crystals for my money? Like, if I want to just buy into this game real quick and be the big whale of the app store or the app version of Rodin Chronicles, ah. how many crystals can I get for forty nine ninety nine? How many crystals? Can I get, like, a billy of crystals? <laughs> ah. uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, yeah, these guys are the crystal-obsessed ra- aliens, because there's always one. Yes. And uh, but the, they don't even get their own description in the in the choose your race section. If you'd like to be a Jrodin, you just add a plus one to your speed and say you're a Jrodin. Yep, you're like, what are you? I'm the weird gray lumpy version of whatever other race. Yeah, the the one or two pictures they have in here of a Jrodin version of the of the base race are hilarious. The- oh my god, the one for the quiz bank is great because <laughs> normally they're they're snake people. And the Jrodin one just looks like a hut. Yeah, he looks like Dumpa the Hut. It's like, so sad because he's all he's got all those like gray lumps all over him too. He's like if the hut was the th- like a hut was the thing. <laughs> Wait a minute, me. Carpenter's the thing or Marvel's the thing? Marvel's the thing. Okay, it's me, the ever-loving blue-eyed Jabba the Hut. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I had to do all those crimes on Yancey Street. That's right, Tatooine has a Yancey Street. Get out of here. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's that's the basics of the species. Now, at that point, you need to select yourself a profession. Uh, there's about 12 of them. If you're guessing that this game does the thing where more than half of the professions are non-combat careers that wouldn't make any sense for a role-playing game, you're correct. Yeah, but even then, I fi- there's so much fiddly crap in this where it's like, oh, choose your profession. This will give you uh, some weird stat points. So like, even if you're like, oh, yeah, I picked you know, uh, a corporate guy. I'm a businessman is my thing. You're like, Okay, you'll get plus one to your intelligence and plus two to whatever, and you're like, wait, what? Yeah, hold on. Yeah. So you get a little couple, you get a couple of little bonuses. They they provide a skill package of skills that will become slightly cheaper for you to purchase, not at character creation, but during when you're spending XP, you can have those skills for a little cheaper. Yeah, it's uh, basically like it brings it down a level. So if it was an advanced skill, it would count as basic, and if it was a professional skill, it counts as advanced. Now, how many skills are in this game, John? Uh, about 212. Now, are you counting, when you say about 212, the fact that several of the skills, I'd say maybe 20% of them, randomly make up other skills in the description of the skill that you're reading in the first place? Well, no, it's 212, not including things like, uh, read and write is now 20 different languages, or, of course, language is 20 different languages, and... If you want vehicle, there's a ton of different vehicles. Well, let's get into one of my favorites, which is the climbing system in this game. Now, I'm not going to describe how to climb in this game because it's just roll against some difficulty and track and add in your thresholds and factorials and whatevers. Uh, but what I mean is, in the description of climbing, it says climbing. This is the act of going up the sides of large buildings or rock-like structures. Coming back down them is repelling, which is a different skill. Now, is repelling a different skill in this game? It is not. No, what there tell- is no repel skill. What they are telling you is. Right when he was in the middle of riding climbing, he suddenly decided that climbing is probably two skills. One for going up and another for coming down. And then he just put it there and didn't put it anywhere else at the end. Yeah, it's it's another example of, oh, I've got this idea, putting it down, and then just like getting high and wandering off from the book for a while and coming back and forgetting he did it. Yeah, now how many times does that show up? I'd say there were, I, I found maybe five examples of stuff like that in the descriptions of the skills where they were just like, oh, uh, what about uh, d- uh, medicine? Well, medicine is definitely a skill surgery comes in three different other types of skills that are that are also listed right here in this description of the doctor skill which aren't listed in the actual skill table so grats on that oh yeah i love that the only skill for surgery is like it says like quick surgery yes and it's like the low end of surgery but there isn't a medium or high end tier surgery oh they're there you just got to read the surgery skill description (laughs) yeah but they're not like separate skills oh they are fine he just forgot to put them in the table god damn it (laughs) so one of the fun things in profession is uh there's a whole section right before profession begins about computer access and what sort of computer your character owns uh every i guess because every character gets a computer you have some dice you have to roll on uh, you, you roll a d60 and compare that against a table that only has five results on it 
uh, to determine what sort of computer your character starts with. In addition to this D60, you also add in your character's wealth score level, uh, and then also your cultural score modifier. Uh, let's see, what what else was there? It was uh, your social... And educational. And education. None of those stats are things. No. you. There is a uh, economic qualifier it, that you can get, but the social and educational one aren't things. And the educational modifier, because it's actually listed in the index, I went and looked it up, it's like educational modifier. Many players will have different values of how rich they are. If your character is lower, uh, discuss with your GM to see which one of these four uh, things you should roll. And all they control is the amount of money you start with, and they don't provide a modifier. They just provide some money. So he just was like, hey, uh, when when you're factoring how good of a computer your character has, roll a D60, and then add these three numbers that don't exist. Yep. I mean, at least the economic one is... I guess technically four. There's like four comfortable, well off, and rich. (laughs) Add a one to a two. So I don't, I don't understand what that. It's it's just another example of of him making up stats and then just forgetting that he didn't have them. Oh, this book is a fucking mess. Oh, it is so unreadable. So skills you can choose by either choosing individual skills or skill packages. You put ranks in the skills; they can go up to rank fifteen, but you can only have rank five at character creation. Yeah, it's the you either get one hundred and twenty points to put out into things, or you buy skill packages, and usually the packages will end up getting you maybe like a point or two more overall, but you can't decide exactly how you do stuff because you're like, oh, if you pick the like Terran package for where you grew up, then you have to take the skills that are on that. So if you don't want to have like etiquette for Terran military, well, too fucking bad. You do. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, once you've picked a career, you go and pick a sub career out of it. Uh, Those are virtually pointless. They provide you something called a hallmark skill. A hallmark skill is that you automatically get five ranks in it, which is the max is basically a max starting rank for the skill. And also you reduce the difficulty threshold of that skill by one when you were attempting to roll a, to use it. Uh, and it's easier to get ranks in. Yeah, easier to get ranks in, and that's it. So, for example, if you make a, a – tr- oh, this is the thing that's weird to me is out of the nine or so course uh, career professions, almost every single one of them has one of its sub-careers be bounty hunter. Yeah. Like, there's, I, I think there's a, a, maybe 12 ways to be a bounty hunter in this profession system. Which is fine because ultimately this book doesn't provide you with any kind of overarching threats or anything that would be worthwhile things for your starting adventurers to do. And it doesn't provide any kind of reason why your weird aliens would hang out with each other. Oh, yeah. Which are both huge detriments against it because that's the sort of thing you have. That's why Babylon 5 works as a core template concept. Normally, why would these dumb Centauri vampire guys in their silly little coats with their six prehensile penises hang around with these lizard dudes that they fucking hate? Well, they wouldn't. But here on Babylon 5, they have to. So let's cue the music. Yeah. This book doesn't have that. Yeah, no. This book has a section in it that is, oh, what kind of stories could you tell here? And it's like, well, maybe you've got a military or maybe you've got a corporation or whatever. But he never says anything that's like, yeah, but why would anyone who's like, oh, I'm a Pajanji in a corporation. All right. Why are you dealing with this Madari who's a bounty hunter? Uh yeah, no, there's there's no explanation given. And it, the problem is that's that's always fun to read is these books that don't have a thrusting core concept to them, you know, because it's like, oh, that's a neat alien species. What a, what a cool idea. But there's no there there. No, there's they're like, oh, I made this cool universe. You could play around in it. I'm like, how do I play around in it, though? Yeah, I mean, imagine the your characters meet in a bar scene at the, t- at the beginning. Oh, you don't have to, because it's one of the short stories in this. Huh. There are about four or five short stories in this book about quiz band, the quiz bank, or whatever. Uh, and each one is just a bunch of characters sitting around knowing things about each other. That's that's what it is. This quiz bank looks at the Pajanji and knows of the Pajanji people. She understands that the Pajanji are difficult to trade with, but once you do, it is always of profit to both parties. She understands that she requires credits at this moment, for she is short, and therefore she decides that she might trade with these Pajanji if they ask the right question. Meanwhile, the Pajanji knows that these quiz bank are of unusual and exotic temperaments, and nothing actually happens. They just sit there knowing shit about each other. Yeah, it's... It's just someone who had ideas for a bunch of races and a galaxy, and then just full stop had nothing else. <laughs> well, Hadn't, didn't have stories in mind. Yeah, it was just like here's some things I thought of. And then your other problem, which is that uh, of the of the actual threats that are included in the game, like the Shardan, for example, one Shardan would fuck your party over, even if your party was like medium high level. 
Oh yeah, the the whole thing with the Chardin is they're like, oh yeah, the wimpiest nerd Chardin would fuck you up. Like they are ridiculously powerful. They're basically like space robocops that are just run around and are like, hey, what are you? Oh, we're giant tech monsters, and oh, if and we, we try tra- and do anything, we kill you. And we travel in fucking packs. Oh yeah, so There's, you never meet a Chardin. It's always like, what's this? Oh, it's a Chardin raiding party, and oh, uh, can you stop them? No. Anyone who has ever in the history of the galaxy attacked the Chardin has been fucked over entirely. Yeah. So what do you do? What are you doing in this game? And no, and sitting around in a bar knowing shit about Pajanji doesn't count because that doesn't make a good game. No. If you're like, all right, you guys are in a bar. Why don't you roll knowledge Pajanji? Oh, I don't have that. Ooh, well, it looks like you're not doing anything. Yeah. So anyway, John, why don't we get into the uh, the best and worst of this thing? What would you say is your favorite part? About the Zrodin Chronicles. All right. The actually, let's just let me rephrase that question, John. What part of this book do you think was an idea of Eric Wojcik's? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like you said, the fucking skill package thing is very uh, ninjas, ninjas and, super, and super spies. It's nice just because it's much easier to let skill packages give you your skill ranks than to actually go through and buy them individually. Oh, so yeah, that's having, something. Having a hundred twenty individual skill ranks to put out in two hundred some odd skills, you're like. Uh, no, thanks. I'll just pick from these little packages. That's fine. Whatever. I, I, I mean, I like, okay, you know what I'm going to say? I like that Terrans aren't just humans. Mm-hmm. I like that they actually have a personality and a weird driving thing. Cause there's always like weird driving ideas behind every alien race, except for humanity. Yeah. I like that they have that. Yeah, that's fair. So what about you? Uh, okay. I'm going to say my favorite thing in this book is the deep examinations of the alien species. I like reading all that stuff about Pajanji and anarcho-capitalism and, and quiz bank self-improvement. It's, it's neat to get these deep dives into a, just a couple of races. They didn't do the next step, which is explaining why these species would interrelate and how they'd, how they'd form up into units and stuff. But, uh, but I like the, exa- the deep examinations. Hey, but they gave you a reaction modifier table so that each race has their own reaction modifier to every other race. Boo. Boo to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not playing Osric. I don't need that nonsense. I mean, if I encounter one quiz bank, I shouldn't be like, I racially hate you. <laughs> it should be like, well, what do they want? What's the deal? What's the deal with this quiz bank? Well, this, this quiz one. bank, this quiz bank racially hates you. All right. Uh, great. All right. Liz. All right. I found a big racist quiz bank over here. <laughs> Lasers out, everyone. <laughs> Lasers out. We got a big racist quiz bank. <laughs> so, but I did like the deep dives. I thought that was kind of fun. Uh, I think one of my favorite things in this book, though, if I'm being sarcastic about it, is the age modification chart where there's it gives you age modifiers for uh, like the normal, like the regular age that you're supposed to play as. And then says, don't use those. Those are just for if you started out as a young race and you and then you become a middle aged race uh, member of the race. Yeah, you can start as a, a little young kid. if you want. And you get a series of penalties. And, th- and then when you get, gain one more like up, you get you get to that that standard like adult range and you get a set of benefits to make up for it. They aren't parody. You know, you get different ben- uh, benefits. You end up coming up slightly ahead if you start young and age up. The only problem is you also start with way fewer skills if you yeah. start as but young. But you make up for that by getting experience. And the experience point system in this game is not, there's no levels to it. You're just buying skills with them. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I feel like it might be worthwhile to start young in this game in a lot of situations. <laughs> But, I mean, who knows? Maybe not, because those bonuses to your stats barely matter when you compare them to the chart for... Uh... Oh, yeah, because you're going to start out with a ton of negatives, and then the bo- the bonuses you get overall, you're looking at like, oh, over what I had started with, I've got maybe like two or three yeah. extra points. Who I cares? Just, I just think it's hilarious that it's like, all right, I'm a baby Midari. I get a minus one D4 to strength and a minus one to intelligence. When I become an adult, it fixes itself by giving me plus two D4 to strength and plus one to empathy. The weird thing is there are some that are like, what is this? Oh, you're young, so you've got a minus D4 to strength. And then you get to mature, and you get plus 1D4. And I'm like, oh, so I could be minus 4 and then roll plus 1 and just suck. <laughs> yeah, you could fuck yourself over, yes. So so anyway, what would you say is your least favorite thing about the Zrodin Chronicles? Uh, the worst thing in this book has got to be the let me tell you about a rule, oops, that rule doesn't exist. The countless number of times where it's like... The references to colors. Let me tell you about what color this is. Let me tell you about this point in a system. Let me tell you about this skill that doesn't exist. You're like, stop it, man. Just 
one editor, one proofreader. Oh, it's edited through. by Matthew Webster, the author of the book. Yeah, sure it was. He also did the layout. I can tell. <laughs> so... Yeah, that's. I, I, I'm going to give a runner-up credit to the layout. By the way, there are a lot of tables that are broken in half by page count in this book that don't that make it almost impossible to figure out what you rolled on them. Well, there's all those paragraphs that like <laughs> will will go like, oh, here's five sentences. It hits the bottom of the page, goes to the next column, and then just reprints the beginning of the paragraph. Uh huh. Yeah, there's a lot of doubled up text in this book, quite on accident. So the layout work was a little uh, a little lax. But I'm not going to say that's my least favorite thing. What is yours? Uh, I, I will say that my least favorite thing is. Actually, it's the waste. It's the waste of of anything to do. Actually, here, I'll I'll put it this way. It's the eight-page timeline at the beginning of the book. (laughs) Because that's all this story stuff of what happened a long time ago. And there's characters in that with, you you meet a guy named, like, Ren Space Winters or something. (laughs) It's like, what do you do? I'm a cool mercenary who invented a neat mercenary creed. When did this happen? About 18,000 years ago. (laughs) Oh, is it relevant? No. In no way is it. Yeah, so it's like... What, what, why do I have to read this boring story about that started 55,000 years before the place we're in if all of it's been set back to zero by the time the game starts? And also, if I have no idea what any of this is, these timelines have never been cool. We've seen them in like 15 books. Oh, yeah. Anytime someone's like, well, I've created my own weird setting and I've got this huge amount of background information on it. They're like, here's a timeline. And instead of it being like, here's very specific notes of like this uh like nation hates this other nation because of this war this is where this happened and you just get very small pinpoints of okay when you're playing the game you know the pajanji hate quizbank because you know 50 years ago there was a war yeah okay that's a thing to put in a timeline but when you go like oh the tualanta went and terraformed fishdong the the world and then they settled there. Oh, and then the world was destroyed 300 years later. Okay, what does that have to do with my game? Oh, nothing. No and, one cares. And it can't possibly, and it never will. Oh, boy. In 971 AY, Thisban Remulact the Girthanks. What is? What are any of those words? What are any of those words? <laughs> oh, thus a connecting, uh, a connecting conjunction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about the rest of them? No one knows. No one knows. And even when you read the rest of the book, you'll probably get two-thirds of it. Uh-huh. You won't get it all. Uh, also, this book has an undercurrent of references to psionics, which are not present in the book. Uh, they keep mentioning that they will be in the first source book. Yeah, I mean, at least <laughs> at least they use the page count correctly for weird martial arts, though. Yes, for martial arts that I am, to this point, unclear as to how to access. Yeah, I, c- I didn't find martial arts as its own, like, skill. Mm-hmm. They have it as a, I think you just buy points in it the way you would any other skill like if you were to put points into like punching oh, okay instead so you, you just... put it into martial arts all right fair enough i mean it, if it if it has a description it's in the martial arts section itself of how you can buy into these yeah it's not part of the skill system and it's not part of the basic combat combat system no it's its own weird subsystem that exists in the ether and by the point you get to it you've already finished reading everything about character creation and then you get to this part where it's like mystic martial arts well yeah and none of the professions you can be are martial artists oh no they're all things like engineer and mer- and and merchant oh yeah you're so, like oh what are you i'm a pilot okay or do you have weird martial arts definitely not no sir <laughs> so would you play this game i would could, you could you i could not play this game i would not could not with a fox <laughs> i would be so angry trying to play this game <laughs> It no, it is one hundred percent no, and you no, of course not. I don't even. I, I I've read this book. I've made my character for the bonus content in this book, and I don't understand a word of what I was doing. No, it is. It's basically like someone plopped down a math book in front of me, said, "Do this problem," showed me the steps to do it, and at the end of it, I was like, "I have no idea what I just did." I'll take it a step farther. It's like someone plopped down a Romanian math book in front of me <laughs> and had me do one of the word problems in it, and I did it just by the numbers part. And I was like, "Oh, okay. I think that number goes into that number." Hey, how many blemulacs is this? Is this thumb bank work worth? Uh, I don't know. I mm. mean it. That, I think that's a plus symbol, so I'm going to add these two. That's, okay, good. Yeah, I think that's probably right. That's how we made characters in this game. Yeah. So, folks, if you'd like to hear these characters we made in this game, 
as we go stumbling through the ruins of yesterday. Uh, you can do that by just supporting our Patreon at any level. Uh, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash systemmastery and support us at a bare, uh, just a dollar, a dollar an episode. And a you'll, dollar will do you. A dollar will get you that bonus content where we confusedly stumble through the ruins of the mind of someone else trying to figure out what the heck they were talking about. Just piecing together little bits like little I'm bits. going through ruins of a fucking ancient civilization and I'm like, I think this is a pot that... They used for plants? Yeah, we're doing archaeology. It's the same way that McSweeney's does comedy. <laughs> ah. So, uh, <laughs> so um, <laughs> that was a reference that... <laughs> Man. <laughs> Christ, what an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> or the new one. I'd like to add you to my LinkedIn profile. <laughs> I, okay, anyway... Uh, to get to get that bonus content and more jokes about New Yorker captions, just <laughs> <laughs> just go to patreon.com slash system mastery and support us at a dollar. If you support us at two dollars, you'll unlock a bunch more bonus content, because that'll get you all the Star Wars bonus content as well. Adding up to maybe about six episodes of bonus content, more system mastery jokes a month, all for you. Yep. And uh, of course, if you want to follow us anywhere else on the social media we make <laughs> stupid fucking jokes on the twitter you can go find us we're system mastery on there we're system mastery on facebook at gmail mm-hmm. and the subreddit r slash system mastery perfect so folks please do go support us on that patreon i made all my goals for whether or not i'd be able to raise the baby based on making 1500 and we are way lower <laughs> so so help us before i start before i starve a child yeah <laughs> this child is in your hands listeners i've got a gun to its head it's it's due in two weeks please save us save me <laughs> all right uh I, I think that's just about it john unless you had anything else you wanted to add no i think that is about it let's uh let's get ready to dive into this dumb nonsense real quick you got it thank you so much for listening and you all have a good week 